Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Hello, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and it's great to have with us today Tom Hutchison. Hutch recently shared a message with our congregation from Matthew chapter 12 in our continuing study of Matthew's gospel here at Grace Baptist Church. And Hutch, uh, great to have you back to the table today. I know it's been a busy week for you. We were just talking orthodontia and dentist appointments and everything else professionally, but uh, let's face it, also a busy chapter that you took on in your sermon Sunday. Yeah, it was a lengthy chapter and a full chapter with lots going on. And I'll be very honest, we've uh, wrestled with this as a preaching team in terms of pace. And we've said over the last year and a half as we've talked this through, we want to keep a pace that is uh, fast enough or quick enough that it keeps up with the themes of the Bible without getting bogged down, but not go so fast that we miss major points. And there's times where there's a challenge. So we've actually adjusted our schedule over the next several months to insert a couple other Sundays and slow down on a couple points in Matthew because we want to be sure that we're reading it in a way that will actually help us capture the stories and not fly by it and miss it, but not go so slow that we miss the big picture of what he's doing. And so just put on the table that we keep challenging each other week to week and wrestling with that and trying to identify what we need to really highlight and, and kind of focus on each week. And it's a, an encouragement to our congregation, too, to use that other six days of the week or all seven days of the week to really dig in yourself and to you know pull out those commentaries, perhaps, but just read the Scripture and, and talk about it. And that's one thing we try to, try to really focus on. Very much encourage the entire congregation to be reading along with us and have their questions and then be able to take those questions into ABF conversations and their small groups and talking right. with their family as well. Uh, we, this is a, a, a dialogue that we need that to be having be. together. It's not just a monologue coming from one person. And so we want to really build that kind of environment. So yeah, that'd be great. And that's an encouragement too to the listener. I know we will say it later on as we uh, close our time together, but uh, the fact is we would love to hear from you. And if you have any c- comments or questions that you'd like to share, please bring them on. We'd love to love to hear those. We'll give that address that you can send those to here in just a little bit. But Hutch, I've appreciated the big idea statements that you and some of our other preaching team members have shared uh, as memory handles, I'll call them, earlier in your presentations. Uh, That statement for chapter 12 this past week, for example, was Jesus the King gently calls for our humble acceptance and submission to his authority. And this comes just a few chapters after the big idea of chapter 9, and that was because Jesus is the Davidic shepherd king, we should confidently follow him in faithful submission. Seems to be a continuing theme here. Well, I'm kind of glad that's coming through, <laughs> and it is no surprise. Now, I did have to go back to my notes to make sure I got sure. that right, but no, it's, it's coming through loud and clear. Yeah, some of it should sound eerily similar, because um, Matthew has a purpose, and he's building his case. He started with a foundation of Christ's birth and even his baptism, the pronouncement of angels, all of those kind of things to lay the groundwork to say he is this promised king, the the one who could rightfully rule for all eternity over his kingdom, and he's present. And then as he moves forward, we're going to keep seeing everything relates back to that, but he keeps building it in different ways and different facets. So some weeks we see Jesus' meekness and his gentleness, and other times we see his strength. Uh, But all the way through, it's intrigued me. When you read Matthew, there's certain words or certain ideas that just keep coming up. And as I've read Matthew in the past and keep thinking about it this time, the, the two that always stand out to me, Um, are amazement or being amazed Mm. 
and authority. Okay. And so as you read through, just watch for those. You'll see that they, um, the people hear his teaching and go, they're amazed because he teaches like one who has authority. And then he demonstrates the authority over disease with his healings, and they're amazed because of the authority he has over disease. And then even eventually over death itself or over nature. And they're going, look, even the winds and the waves obey him. And that sense of the way he's teaching and the his ministry and the power he's showing over the effects of sin, um, the signs to who he is, they're amazed, everyone is. And it demonstrates his authority over every aspect of creation and over people and over death and over Satan himself and with the casting out of demons. But that eye, you know, to kind of steal the punchline, is really building towards the end of the book when Jesus declares, all authority is given to me on heaven and earth, now go and make disciples. And so there is all the way woven through here this idea of Jesus our King is present on earth, um, his reign is here, the kingdom is at hand, and so we should respond to him. And you've got people who in amazement see what's happening, but then you get differences in terms of how people respond, whether they receive that humbly and repent, or whether they instead choose their own path and fight against him. I'm going to veer off here and, t and go off of something you just shared, really the whole concept of what you just shared. In a time where in our country, in the United States of America, where political tensions are high, we're looking for that next leader who is going to lead us well and lead us, we would, we would hope, you and I would hope, according to God's word. We have, even in the, in the church, we have people who may be, it, it may seem like looking for that instead of resting in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now, that, that can be a characterization that can be taken a step too far, I understand. Talk to us about, you know, Jesus is the, the leader. Jesus is the one who's been given all authority. How should that influence our, uh, our discussions about uh, politics, about the society in which we live? Uh, I'm hitting you cold here, I know, but I think it's a good reminder that we really need to discuss these things in our churches about, you know, what is too much of a reliance on somebody else or what, something I'm, I'm thinking through now. It has intrigued me that when Jesus came, he didn't come to a culture that was uh, democratic. Really? <laughs> he came in a day where there was a, a ruthless reign of Rome under an emperor and yet established what it would look like to live in submission to the divine king in that context. And I, I value the freedoms we have in America very much, and I appreciate them. And I think democratic society has shown great benefits over other cultures. But the reality is you can be a healthy, growing Christian and live in submission to the king under any government system hmm. so that the press of the New Testament was not to change the government. And so differentiating when I'm going to argue for certain positions and places because we live in a democracy and this is what I think my rights are within that democracy and how we should live, that's fair in the political arena. But at the same time, I could be in parts that, where I've visited in Southeast Asia where they have a king and say, here's the rights I have in that environment, which are very different than what's right. here. The question always becomes, how do I model the ethics of the kingdom of God? How do I live as a kingdom citizen where Jesus the King has created a rule in our hearts that changes us so we can live? And I, I think sometimes we tend to blur those discussions. And um, here again, he's calling for humble, submissive authority to him 
to make the greatest priority God's kingdom. But that can really be within many different societal contexts. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, it's a big discussion, perhaps one we'll come back to, but I think it's important to see the whole concept of Jesus's authority within the con- context of a uh, political and social civic leadership mm-hmm. that is not always, in fact, often rarely in our world, is it favorably disposed towards our uh, biblical beliefs. Right. Well, Hutch, we we see quite a comparison as we enter into the chapter 12 narrative. Uh, Jesus has just shared those famous phrases of chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And of course, it ends with a familiar to to many of us. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then we move right into chapter 12 and immediately, boom, uh, the Jewish leaders are throwing on Jesus and his followers the heavy yoke of their version of God's law. What a dynamic contrast that Matthew just did. I mean, all of a sudden, a pivot, boom. Uh, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and then the the uh, uh, Jewish leader saying, yeah, but our yoke. And, and I do think it, it just, it's interesting to me, and it just kept hitting me more and more as I was working through the passage these last few weeks, that he speaks about this coming to him for rest because his yoke is easy and his burden is light, and there you'll find rest for your souls. And then the battleground that Deep Matthew... <sighs> and then the battleground that Matthew identifies, where the Pharisees were attacking him, is over the Sabbath, which was a day intended for rest. <laughs> and it just highlights in my mind this idea of differentiating the purpose of why we do things versus the priority of doing those things. And that can get blurred. I, I very much appreciated Matt a couple weeks ago when he was commenting that the sign, Jesus, these miracles, mm-hmm. that sign is never greater than what it signifies. Mm, yeah, The signs are pointing to what it signifies. And so the miracles they were seeing actually pointed to the fact that Jesus really had authority, that he was the divine king. And yet for some, they got so focused on those signs that what they wanted was only the healing, the physical healing Mm -hmm. that was their priority, or they wanted more food and for him to provide, um, or they wanted freedom from Roman oppression, and they lost the idea that those signs were pointing to something far greater. Mm. And the law had its place, its purpose, but the law was to guide people to God. The law was intended to be a way to know God and to love God and to love your man well. And it's possible in the midst of that to lose sight of the purpose of the law, of loving God and loving others, and become so focused on the law that you actually begin to worship the law. Hmm. And I think the Pharisees are showing that, um, the danger of taking something that was good and turning it into their very God, and in doing so, lost sight of the God who actually had given them the law. And so it became burdensome for them, and it became burdensome for those around them that they oppressed with it. And it's, it's really easy for those lines to be moved because I think we have the same tendency in our hearts as well to take well, things that are good and we give them a wrong priority in our lives. Certainly. And so let's take that and boil down to us, if you will, just put it in, in hutch words. What was the main intent of the fourth commandment? I mean, just hit, hit us with, was it the <clears throat> idea that we don't work? I don't think so. That wasn't the main focus. Right. Um, I, I would say that we need to not just say what was the main intent of the fourth commandment, but go further back than that and say what was the main intent of the Sabbath in creation. Okay, good. Because I think what we come to the laws, we, we, today in many of our circles, uh, the 
kind of tradition our church is in, we often tend to look at the Sabbath and say, well, that was just an Old Testament thing under Mosaic law. Right. And the reality is the Sabbath command was introduced in Genesis in just the first couple chapters. Built into creation. Built into creation so that God created. And and remember, this is before there was sin in the world. So it's not the effect of sin. It's just God's design that there were six days for you to work, the kind of work where you feed yourselves, the vocation, and taking care of your family and all of the things that are needed to keep up with life. And you would worship God in your work. Mm-hmm. But you know that there's a tension of work can become controlling and become the focus. And so one day a week... Speak you, for yourself, by the way, yeah, on that, yeah. Yeah. One day a week, you put aside vocational work so that you can focus on your relationship with God in a unique way. You can worship Him. You can listen to Him. You can find that kind of rest for your souls that's so needed from the work that can consume and can overtake. And the more I've looked at it and thought about it over time, in my mind, there's just a couple basic things that should be happening in a good observance of Sabbath. There should be genuine rest. Um, I always ask the questions. When you start your week Monday morning, (laughs) are you more rested and energized? Do you have more emotional and physical and spiritual reserves than you did on Friday when you started your weekend? And a, a good Sabbath will actually give a time where you, like you just did, you take a deep breath. It's the pause for the emotional reserves and the spiritual reserves and the physical reserves that you need for the week ahead. And that rest was one piece of it. So are you, if I can interrupt, are you saying then that Monday should be a high point in our week? Monday should be your freshest point of the week. Right. And you uh, and I both know that that often is not the case. No, it, right. it's, it's not point. at all. And it's, it's very much uh, recently working through a book with some students where Bonhoeffer kind of puts on his head the calendar, the way we approach it, and and I think it fits what God does in in Genesis. We tend to wake up in the morning thinking, okay, now I have to run through the day, get exhausted, fall into bed to catch up. So I can do it all over again tomorrow. Instead of the way in Genesis, the day was the evening and then the morning, that the day started in the evening so Mm -hmm. that you rest all night so you're refreshed and wake up with the energy and excitement to face the day to honor God. And it's a simple but a different perspective to, 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 to reframe it. And I think in the week the same way, the Sabbath is the energizing day of the week to give you the resources that you need emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally, so that when you start the week, you have those resources to serve God all week. Mm-hmm. And then through the week, we tend to forget. We get so busy with work. We get consumed by schedule, the, the things that pop up, the crises, we start the week on Monday saying, I really want to serve God. Those things I heard in the sermon, the things we talked about in class, that's the way I want to live this week. By Wednesday, you're fighting a little to remember them. By Friday, you're just wanting to get through the week. And so we come back and we have to remember. And again, it's what we tend to lose. We often think of Sabbath and say, okay, here's the list of things I can't do. Can I weed the garden? Can I mow the lawn? Can I paint a room? Can I, can I watch the Packers play football? And all those kind of things. But when you come to the Sabbath, again, in Genesis, there's a positive orientation and in the Ten Commandments. It's one mm-hmm. of only two Ten Commandments that are stated positively. Right. You remember the Sabbath. And so part of a good Sabbath is remembering what's really important and remembering who's really important. It's a day to worship God and to honor God. And so in that way, I also label it as just a refocusing that through the week we can lose sight of that and we come back together and as we worship we celebrate the Lord's table. We spend time with fellow believers. We have some time to just rest and downtime. And when we do those things, it refreshes our souls. 
and puts God back in the center where he's supposed to be. Mm. And there's just a pattern for that supposed, that that's supposed to be the case. And that's where I think for, for these Pharisees, you know, over time they, they often found their identity as Jewish people um, in circumcision, as being part of the community, um, in their diet being unique, Mm-hmm. Kept them out of all the local restaurants. Right. <laughs> they weren't going to visit certain people to eat. Um, and the way they observe Sabbath. So their business is shut down while the other businesses keep going, and it makes them stand out. But over time, they tended to find their identity in those things rather than the purpose, which was to point them back to God and to keep them on track and keep them separate from influences that would um, harm them or take them away. And so for me, that idea that the Sabbath was intended from creation and then echoed in the Mosaic Law for rest and refreshment and a re-energizing and putting God back in the center, it doesn't mean it was always a day of inactivity. Um, And that's part of what Jesus says to them. He says, the priests profane the temple, right? They profane the Sabbath when they work in the temple. Right. They're active, they're working, they're doing things, but they're doing things that are different than during the week. There's a different purpose. Mm-hmm. And so the Sabbath day had this purpose of refocusing on God and re-energizing to serve him more faithfully and remembering the things that we tend to forget. And when you keep that purpose in mind, there might be ways that you do that that are very helpful. So there might be guidelines of it's best not to do this and it's best not to do this right. can be helpful. The danger becomes when those means or methods to get there become the focus and you lose sight of the purpose right so you could go through a full sabbath and finish the day going i didn't mow my lawn today (laughs) and you know i prayed this and that's what everybody sees from the outside they don't see you worshiping if you are handling the sabbath appropriately exactly and so here's the things i didn't do all day and i did these things so i'm good and, and yet there was never a, a real sense of those things helped me refocus on God and put me in a better place to love him and to love other people. And that's where it comes out so clearly that they were so focused on the detailed way they had set up that you need to follow it this way. Mm-hmm. This is how you will observe the Sabbath right. And they became so focused on those laws they had created, which is why Jesus says his disciples were guiltless for breaking them because they really weren't God's laws. They were their laws that then they lost sight of the real purpose. And even, it still is amazing to me, I mean, the disciples are hungry. Well, they don't offer to feed them. (laughs) The man with the withered hand who's going to be considered unclean and excluded from certain practices and and it's harming his ability to handle his family, they actually say to Jesus, is it legal legal to heal on the Sabbath? They don't say, can you heal him? Mm -hmm. They assumed he could and yet wanted to challenge whether he was going to do it on that day. They showed no compassion for the man. And then the spiritual leaders of their religious community have a man who's oppressed by demons and blind and mute. Leave him alone, it's a Sabbath. And, and then when Jesus does heal him, they attack Jesus. Yep. And it, all the way through, they've shown that their practices have not created the heart of mercy and compassion that God would intend. They haven't led them to love God more they become so focused on them being able to live up to those things. And, and the more you create those rules, it's easy to help yourself feel good about life because look at all I did, and I've got it in control, and I'm okay with God, and it's easy then to start measuring yourself against other people. And I know maybe this is where you're going to go. You said, so, like, what does that look like for us today? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> and I, 
I've given a lot of thought to the area of worship and in these areas, so um, I apologize if I step on some toes with some of these comments. <laughs> Though I don't, I don't know if I apologize. No, I, I know you don't. Now we need to hear this. Well, we really do. For we need example, to be challenged. for example, and I come from a family that's very invested in music and see great benefit and music has been good for my soul and good for worship and there's great benefit for the people of God the songs that stick in our head I know that people remember music more than they remember my sermons they can teach truth they can reinforce truth they're great ways to express our prayers and our heart to God and I grew up in a culture where that music was a very significant part of what we did and we knew those songs so well when you mentioned the number from the hymnal you didn't have to look sure. it up and you already knew it all you knew which hymn it was and you knew it by and you knew the parts you were going to sing That's right but over time that focus shifted to this particular type of music is the way to worship god this is what you must do and i believe for some of them the purpose was lost and so when even a new generation started writing new music, new expressions that for them were accomplishing those purposes well, and really for others who started to embrace it well, people were so focused on the style mm -hmm. that they lost sight of the purpose of the music. And I think it, I've seen this over time with the way we dress coming to church. Um, you know, I grew up where I, I wore jeans and T-shirts and cutoffs all week, but on Sunday you had a suit in your closet that you wore. And if you didn't wear a suit to church, um, there was something wrong because you weren't showing enough respect for God. Now, there is some strength in saying, hey, a good way to remind us how important it is to come to church and to really show honor to God is to give time and attention to dressing up. There can be some value in that. But when you get so focused on that rule and you lose sight of the purpose, you lose sight of the fact that a generation followed that said, we want to approach God as a person, mm -hmm. and he loves us, and, and he's not worried about the way we're dressed as much as the state of our hearts, and we need to right. come to him just the way we are. And again, for them, those guidelines could be purposeful in leading them to worship God rightly, but you had some that were so focused on those rules and those externals, they lost sight of the purpose. And I watched, actually, over time, I've seen occasions where, for example, a teen comes to church to visit who does not know Christ and actually interested and had people pull him aside and berate him for not dressing properly to be there. You go, okay, that's a time when we have lost sight of the purpose. Certainly. And so to, for us to live in ways where the, the patterns we put into our lives, the times and ways we read scripture, how we pray, the music we do together, the layout of the church, how often in the way we do communion, um, the architecture of the church, those things all are means that can be very, very helpful to lead us to honor the day and honor our time as a community so that we are focused on the purpose of loving God and loving each other and loving man. But if we get so focused on the rules that we start to measure ourselves by those or feel like I'm spiritually okay because of these things I've done or evaluate other people by those, we've lost sight of the purpose. And I think that's what had happened over time for the Pharisees as well. And frighteningly so, they were in the positions of authority. So they then made those rules they created for themselves the standard for everyone else and could easily exclude people from worship or exclude them from the community because those rules, in many ways, became their gods. And Hutch, I, as you are reciting uh, worship, dress, uh, music, uh, just styles of the way we do things, uh, 
I was thinking through, say, the past 10 years, certainly the past six years, I can remember elder meetings that you and I have sat in where we've talked about some of these very things mm -hmm. and about the importance. Sometimes Change for change's sake is not great. Right. Change that is proactive and doing things differently, um, it doesn't always work. It doesn't, it isn't always successful, but one thing it does do, it forces the congregant, forces each of us to evaluate, okay, why do I do what I do? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I would encourage people, listen to something different in the morning, something that maybe is not exactly the way you believe. Mm -hmm. listen, to, listen to a, if you're used to listening to one form of news show, listen to another slant on it. Get a perspective of what the other side is saying. I think we learn from that, but also even in our, our scripture reading, I've read different versions from the one that I usually read so that I get out of the habit of just glancing through or glazing through because I already know what it says. Well, do I? <laughs> and it's a good, it's good practice for me. I know. Yeah. And I've seen people's uh, perspectives on preaching styles and what Certainly. preaching has to look oh, like yeah. has changed over time. Sure the, the order of service, those kind of things. <laughs> and again, having some structure and some guidelines in our lives is very valuable. We build practices into our lives for the purpose of helping us honor and loving God and to be the kind of people who really love other people mm. appropriately. And Jesus is saying to these people, you've built laws for yourself and you're accusing other people of being guilty, but they're violating the patterns you were setting up to honor God's law. You've made them the law, your laws, you've put it over God's law, and in doing so, you've lost the heart. You have no mercy and no compassion for these people. Yeah. And you've really lost sight of God. You feel like you're good enough on your own because of your rules. And, and I think it goes back to those words, two words that in, in that uh, uh, handle, that memory center, that statement that you made earlier in your, in your sermon, uh, humble and submissive. Mm -hmm. Humility and submissiveness. And uh, realizing that we need to be humble and submissive to him, not just to our tradition. Yeah. And it's a, it's a danger for the young as well as the old. It is. We, we kind of latch on to the way we do things and assume that's the way it's supposed to be instead of saying we've got to keep looking at the purpose and how it's impacting yeah. people around us and, yeah. and let God's law speak for itself and not try and believe we need to add to it. And that question that my young grandchildren are starting to ask, why, mm -hmm. is not a bad question. Well, Jesus utters a, a very decisive comment, and we're seeing a lot more uh, cutting. Uh, he's separating out here, so beginning, really beginning here in this chapter. It goes back to chapter 5, really. But he says, whoever is not with me, there in verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now, it's possible, in fact, probably likely that somebody is listening to us now or here in the coming weeks or months who needs to make a decision for or against Jesus. And Jesus makes it very clear that not making a decision for him is, in fact, making a decision against him. Can you talk to one who perhaps is listening and is confronted with that decision right now? I think we need to keep going back to that very basic question. Are you for him or against him? And I think there's two parts of this. Um, one is that Jesus is very clear. You're with me or you're against me. The, the reality is, and we've seen this all the way through the book of Matthew, and we know the truth even continues today, mm -hmm. to see Jesus is to be confronted with a choice. Right. When you hear his teachings, you can't just sit on the fence and say that's interesting because <laughs> he is speaking to each of us personally. Sure. And he's calling us to acknowledge our sin and repent and to submit to him and his authority. And to try to sit on the fence and analyze it intellectually, 
is not real. Exactly. <laughs> you are confronted with a choice, and by not responding, you are making a choice to mm-hmm. fight against him. The danger that we're going to see in here that's, that, in my mind, is very scary with this is that as we start looking at the parables this week in Matthew chapter 13 and the idea that the, these religious leaders had calloused their hearts towards God, the, the warning and, and the caution that I've seen practically over time and I think is the pattern we see in Scripture is when you refuse to respond to God, and you resist, and maybe it's a tone of, well, I'll just come to that later, I'll think about it later, I have other things to do first. Or um, maybe it's, oh, I wanna keep wrestling. Whatever the response is, the more you put that off and resist it, you build up a callousness in your heart. Mm -hmm. And there is a danger, a severe danger here, this warning that in doing that, you can build a callousness so that you will turn off God forever. And it is the warning that God is responding and calling for us to to respond to him with our hearts. And if you do not respond to him, you callous your heart mm. more and more. And you bring clouds over your eyes that will make it harder and harder to see. And you close your ears up to it. There's just a warning that it's not just you're sitting here and now I have to decide which way I'm going to go. You're on a path. Right. And those who are not following Christ are on a path towards judgment and destruction the warning of God is that, and a call for you to acknowledge that and actually to repent and turn away from that. And I Mm -hmm. would just echo what I I believe Jesus keeps echoing is this call to come to him Mm -hmm. and this wide open offer to do that um, and the dangers of putting that off or um, resisting it. We've talked about uh, problems before we went on the microphone, problems that exist uh, physically that, that you and I deal with that put off they, they come forth in different forms uh, as you get a little older, and they, they compound and they cause additional problems. And spiritually, is no different. Yeah, and the Pharisees are showing a pattern where over time, even that whole group and these people had built patterns in their lives, ways of thinking, and then confronted with Jesus' miracles right uh, in front of them. What do we do with this? They're so set in their ways that they're calloused and close their ears and close their eyes to it. Can't even respond appropriately to something totally otherworldly. Yeah. And we, we look at that and go, I can't believe the Pharisees responded that way. <laughs> if I had been there, I would. But the reality is they're just showing the same kind of problems we have in our yeah. hearts today as well. Yeah, good. Well, Hutch, the chapter ends with a, a very poignant scene that portrays Jesus' mother, Mary, and his brothers. And, and the language indicates elsewhere, perhaps even his sisters as well, seeking an audience with him. And based on some added information and what appears to be a parallel passage here in Mark chapter 3, there's an intervention going on here. Uh, they're, they're looking to come in and kind of rescue our brother who's a little wayward right now, maybe to even to pull him out of the difficulties he's getting himself into. And Jesus lays it out pretty distinctly. Following him means being willing to turn your back on anything, yes, even family, mm-hmm. that, that could get in the way of what he calls us to do. Yeah. And I think there's clearly other places <clears throat> to point out that idea that you must make your priority loving God and make your family secondary or anything else secondary to him. Right. And here, it just seems to be the focus of, hey, my family, the ones I'm committed to as family, they're the people who are following me. And essentially what I see here is that when you follow Jesus, that commitment fundamentally changes the way you see life, changes the way you see the world, and it fundamentally changes the way you see other people. So that person who was this close friend who's bringing me benefit and we enjoy life together and we you know, enjoy watching ball games together, whatever, 
as you become a follower of Christ, you see them differently because mm-hmm. you see them as someone who's lost right. and needs Jesus, or you see them as a brother in Christ where you can support and help each other grow. It fundamentally changes the way you see people. And so the priority is not just, here's the family I was born with. Right. But as you follow Christ, you might see them differently. And if they are... You should see them differently. You should. You should. And, and they may well be brothers and sisters in Christ on the same path which is a joy to have family that shares mm-hmm. that. But there may be times where that family commitment can be a challenge to your family. And Jesus, I think, is here hinting at what he says explicitly elsewhere, that the priority has to be following Jesus. And everything else is seen in light of that. And everything else pales in comparison to that. And we need to make decisions that would help us grow in following Christ and help others grow in following Christ and see them the way he would see them and respond to them that way. So that the first priority is not them as my friend, the history I have with them, mm-hmm. or them as my family, um, blood family, but instead the, the way we see them through the eyes of Christ. And again, I go back to one author I've been working with with students who just says, um, the only way I can see another person is the way I see them in Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think here he's saying that becomes the priority when you make Jesus your king and submit to him as the true king, everyone else is seen through that lens. And I've seen this professionally, I've seen it socially, and in and, and whatever other dynamic you want to see, <clears throat> everything that you do is flavored by what's most important in your life. Mm-hmm. Whether, if you're on track to do certain thing, great things professionally, every decision you make will be colored by that. Mm-hmm. And certainly Jesus calls us to put him first and recognize the authority he has in yeah, our life. Very much great. so. Yeah. Well, next week, Hutch, we start to tackle chapter 13, another rather long, in fact, longer than chapter 12, another long chapter. We'll touch on a number of very familiar parables. Jesus really, really goes all in with the parables here. And then we'll witness Jesus's first recorded return to Nazareth since he began his public ministry. I believe it's his first one here in Matthew. But give us some ideas about how to prepare for that study. Yeah, I want to be careful not to take away Jeremy's thunder. <laughs> He's going to preach next week. Jeremy will have plenty of thunder. <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, there are a, a series of parables highlighting lessons about the kingdom. And I would just say, as you read through the chapter and you're preparing for it, Jesus responds differently to people who are listening differently. <laughs> and that is to yes, his followers does. who are saying, I am going to follow you, help me learn. He responds one way. And to those who have resisted him, um, and you will note that this teaching begins by saying, and on the same day. Right. The events we looked at in chapter 12, that's all fresh in the community's mind. Mm-hmm. And Jesus responds differently to them. And I think there's some lessons there for us, um, but especially just now reading Jesus. Now that he has sent his apostles out saying, go serve, and you're going to experience controversy, mm-hmm. and you're going to have persecution, we've seen two chapters of examples of that. John the Baptist in prison. Um, the Pharisees fighting against him and now plotting to kill him. The resistance has begun. He's going to now back up and say, now let's talk about the kingdom and the priority it has and what we need to know about this kingdom we're committed to serve. Mm-hmm. So I think just watching those kind of things, the audiences, how he's responding to them, and these key ideas about um, the kingdom that we've committed ourselves to follow and be Great. a part of. Great. Well, Hutch, thanks for being here. Appreciate your wisdom. Appreciate pleasure. your work. 
been talking with Tom Hutchison today, and we've been discussing his recent sermon from Matthew chapter 12. And you can access Hutch's sermon and many other messages from our extensive audio catalog, as well as recent podcast episodes, by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking podcast on the media tab. We also encourage you, as we said before, to share your questions and comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecedarville.org. That's contact at gracecedarville.org. Please join us next time as we continue in our study of the book of Matthew. And until then, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.